0: Welcome to stalwarts of Music with Aditya Veera Season 2. This episode is being powered by Perpetual Buzz Experiences. They are an artist representation company with three very basic but lofty goals. They're the launchpad for indie artists, helping them leverage success in the best possible manner. They also help fund social causes and ensure that people have a great time throughout the process. So, be sure to check them out on www.perpetualbuzz.com. Speaking of my guest today, is none other than Bruce Cockburn, who is a Canadian singer songwriter and a guitar player. He's garnered numerous awards and accolades throughout his career. He's won nearly 13 Juno Awards, including Songwriter of the Year, and he was inducted into the Canadian Music Hall of Fame and the Canadian. Songwriters Hall of Fame. His musical genius has been widely recognized across the world. His albums have achieved gold and platinum status, and he has performed at some of the most renowned festivals and venues worldwide. Beyond music, Bruce Cockburn's activism and humanitarian work has garnered admiration and respect in various parts of the world. His remarkable achievements. And lasting impact makes him a revered figure in the musical industry. So without any further ado, I'm delighted to welcome my guest for today, Bruce Cockburn. Hi, Bruce. How are you? And which part of the world are you in right now?
1: <laughs> I'm doing very well, thank you. And I, I'm in San Francisco where I live. Uh
0: huh. And what's special? What's, what's happening on uh, Sunday morning?
1: Uh, not much so far. It's 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 just after 10 a.m. and uh, nothing much is happening. My my family is asleep still, and um, the the street outside is quite sleepy. Also, just, right. it's overcast. It's cool. It's uh, quiet.
0: So you're the only early bird across the street uh, who's up at this hour.
1: It seems like it. <laughs> There are probably people who got up earlier to go to church, but, uh, but uh, I didn't do that. I, um, <laughs> All
0: right. All right. Uh, so I'm your host, Aditya Veera, and I'd like to welcome you on stalwarts of Music. Thank you so much for joining in and taking time out. It's an absolute privilege to have you on the show, sir.
1: Well, thanks for saying that. It's nice to be with you.
0: Incredible. So let's get started with our agenda today, and I have a couple of very interesting questions coming your way. Okay. All right. So Bruce, how did your cultural background or heritage influence your earliest musical memory and the type of music that you were exposed to when you were a little boy?
1: Oh boy. The the first music that I remember being exposed to was classical music, uh European mm-hmm. classical music. Um uh, uh, my dad thought that because I was the firstborn and Okay, okay firstborn gets more attention than the subsequent siblings. So uh, I, I got the benefit of my, my dad exposing me to what he thought was, you know, important cultural uh, elements, uh, uh, including classical music. Okay. He, he, he himself was not a big fan of classical music particularly. He mm-hmm. liked, uh, and my mother, he and my mom liked um, musicals. They uh-huh. liked Gilbert and Sullivan. They liked uh, Broadway musicals, and they, and they listened to a lot of that, and they liked the pop music of their youth, uh, Bing Crosby and, okay. and uh, people like that. So <clears throat> that's what I heard growing up when I was very young. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, this is before I was even in school. But um, And then when rock and roll came along in, in the late 50s. Okay. I was completely captivated by that, so it, you know that became far more influential than than what I'd heard before uh, but but then i when I got serious about music in my teens, mm-hmm. uh, i was I, I rediscovered classical music and i and I got interested in jazz, and uh, I was studying basically jazz composition on my own. Okay. and and some musical theory with with the teacher and um and you know so all of these things kind of mixed together and and I also discovered folk music around that time blues country blues and and ragtime and and you know all this other kinds of music too, so you know what you what 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 shows up in my songs is kind of um melange of of all of these
0: things uh, incredible you did mention so many different genres and you you had this early musical sensibility wherein uh, you listen to everything ranging from jazz to folk and uh, uh very very interesting like i i just stumbled upon a very uh, interesting video on the internet there's a very popular video of you jamming with the legendary Ali Farqature in the mm. River of Sand film, right? So, what were mm-hmm. some of the interesting sights and exchanges during the encounter you had with him?
1: Well, it was a it was a chance encounter because uh, I was in Timbuktu with a film crew, okay, uh, and we were we were making a film on, uh, for Canadian TV about desertification. All right. which is a big problem in many parts of the world, but especially along the southern edge of the Sahara where, where the desert is spreading southward uh, as time goes on. So we were there filming that, and, and we happened to be in Timbuktu at the same time as uh, an American uh, or, organization called Afropop okay. that, that promotes, promotes all kinds of African and other related music. Uh, in in the United States, had a little tour visiting mm-hmm. Timbuktu, and Ali Farka was going to play for this group of Americans. Okay. So so uh, and, and we were there, so we got you know got invited to to um, sit in, and, and he was he he was providing them with dinner as well, which mm-hmm. consisted mostly of two sheep. And he brought the two sheep and showed up, showed them off to everyone. And then they took him out behind the hotel and killed them and uh, and cooked them. Uh, and, you know, we got to eat a meal. And and then when he was performing, he asked me to come up on stage with him and, and, and play. So I did. And it was great fun, except he kept saying, uh, because we didn't have a lot of language in common. Mm-hmm. He speaks French, but my French isn't very good. Okay. And. Uh, don't speak the, you know, um, whatever, whatever his Malian language is. But, uh, but I, um, you know, I played a song with him and he said, oh, you must play another. So I played another one with him. Then, and he kept, then I didn't know how to leave the stage. It was like, I didn't want to offend him by leaving. And I didn't want to offend him by staying. So I just (laughs) stayed, but it was the wrong choice so it ended up being uh, uncomfortable at the end but but um he was quite unhappy actually but but uh you know i just sort of didn't know what to do about that but but uh but, but his he is, he was an incredible songwriter and and uh and guitarist
0: right uh, very very interesting like you you are someone who has tried addressing environmental issues through your music and you went there for a course Right, you'd put out uh, If a Tree Falls, and you recently put out To Keep the World We Know from your new Mm -hmm. release. Right, so what impact were you hoping with the message you are trying to put out through the music, and what are your hopes and aspirations for the future of environmental activism and the global response to climate change? So, I'd like to
1: hear your point of view. Thank you. I, I, yeah, well, songs. I write the songs because I'm I'm emotionally uh, affected by something, mm-hmm. and and if if the effect is strong enough and the circumstances are right, a song will come out of that. So uh, if a tree falls as a result of that, um, right. other other songs I've written that, that have an environmental component to them, similarly, and uh, to keep the world we know came about a little bit differently because it was a product of uh, of a a co- collaborative effort with me and a, a, a Inuit Canadian singer-songwriter named Susan Aglukark. Right. And Susan Susan approached me about the idea of writing a song, and she wanted to write a song about the all the the fires that were happening everywhere in the world. So it was more intentional than usual for me to approach this. Like, okay, well, how do we how do we take this on? And we worked on it by means of emails and phone calls and and we came up with the song which I, i'm quite happy with i think it came out well but um what do you expect what do we expect that song to do I, I i'm not so sure i i don't think songs by themselves do much of anything but if there's if there's a body of popular feeling around an issue then the song can become a kind of anthem or rallying cry for that for that popular feeling and uh hopefully there's enough people who are concerned about climate change that that there would be people who find something some reassurance or encouragement let's say is it a better word uh in in a song like that that's that's about as much as I can offer through songs i mean there are other ways of of addressing these things but it comes down to politics and money all the yeah. time and yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: The people who are in the best position to, to influence uh, the politicians and the, and the money people are people who deal with them all the time, which is not me, but, uh, but I, but it can be, I can hope that the if we keep encouraging yeah. that body popular feeling, that that will be affected or that that will affect the the choices of the politicians. And, and, uh, you know, I, that's, that's about the best we can hope for, I think, as normal people, you know, who are not directly involved.
0: Yeah, certainly, as you rightly said, uh, you know, uh, the pandemic and, uh, a lot of, a lot of occurrences or a lot of cir- circumstances, uh, kind of made us realize that we've been neglecting neglecting the whole aspect of, uh, you know, uh, environment, right? Environment has been depleting at a very rapid rate because of us, because of our own actions, right? But, but yeah. what I see is there are a lot of organizations right now in different parts of the world which are working towards, you know, uh, making a better... Uh, uh you know uh, environment right like uh, in india we're having a lot of uh, uh you know vehicles uh, in parts of delhi and and other parts of india where mm-hmm. they they're trying to cut down on the pollution right they're trying to cut down on the uh, unwanted resources right? right and and of course other parts of asia also that that i've i've heard of japan china they've, they've been doing a lot of interesting stuff to you know protect the environment so i i see i see that people are sort of working towards it uh, you know lately yeah i think i think
1: there's a a growing consciousness in the world of of, of the need to work yeah. on this uh you all it also meets with resistance because there are yeah. I'm, i don't know about the situation in india but certainly in north america there are people who deny yeah. That there is such a thing as climate change, or that it's caused by people's a- activities yeah. I, but but it, it you know so we have to overcome that resistance or get around it but um but the, the it really comes down to a difficult choice between uh between economic prosperity
0: yeah.
1: as we imagine it to be, and uh you know and uh, a sane approach to keeping the global systems, environmental systems going that give us life. So it is a difficult choice because you know when you get down to specifics, okay, well, we shouldn't put that nuclear reactor there, or we shouldn't put a waste uh, incinerator here, or we shouldn't do this mining operation or whatever. Uh, there's always people's jobs involved. And people don't want to lose their jobs, or they or they don't have a job and they need one, and then you have to, you know, to have to work that out somehow. So it's it's complicated, and it requires um, imagination and will on the part of the, yeah. the decision makers. So I guess we have to keep kind of prompting the decision makers to <laughs> to be thinking along the right lines.
0: Yeah, that's where that's where uh, prolific artists like you. Come into the picture where you kind of try to spread awareness through the music and uh, make people understand what's going on, right? You communicate through your music, so which is which is truly incredible.
1: Yeah. Well, we hope so. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah.
0: Uh, so I'd like to understand as to you know a specific approach or strategy that you had in mind while creating your gold and platinum willing albums. Some of them being Stealing Fire. Dancing in the Dragon's Jaws. If yes, I'd like to understand how was the strategy different from that that time to your latest release, Osano Moon? Moon.
1: Uh, I don't think the strategy is very different. I, I I have to temper that by saying that I'm really not the one who does the strategizing. That <clears throat> my manager Bernie Finkelstein and uh, and the record companies that uh, True North Records. Um, okay. They, they're more involved in the actual strategizing than I am. But okay. for me, the, what I've always done is, is write the songs that come to me
0: mm-hmm. and
1: try to, try to make them as good as I can. And when I have enough of them to make an album, then I go make an album. It changes over time because, um, according to my own feelings, toward the end of the 70s, my first album came out in 1970. Okay. And I made, I made 10 albums, basically an album a year during that period. Right. By the end of the decade, I was really kind of tired of my own company on stage. I wanted to have a band. I wanted to have drums. I wanted to play more electric guitar. And, and so the songs started taking that kind of shape. So then through the 80s and, and into the 90s, it, it was that, that was kind of my own direction uh, musically. But then, after a while, it was like, okay, well, I, now I wanted, to, I wanted to get the other element that, that, that sort of quieter, more thoughtful—if that's the word for it—seventies uh, feeling back into the music, mm-hmm. and you know, over the course of the nineties and since then, uh, it's kind of gone more that way. But <clears throat> with Osano Moon. Um, it it's not really a band playing on the record, but it's there's a lot of other musicians on it that yeah. I, I contributed beautifully to to what we ended up with, um, and that that those decisions are made between me and and the, the, whoever's producing the album. In this case, my friend Colin Linden, who has produced my last dozen or so records, I guess. Um, I've had other producers in the past, and I've had good relationships with all of them where you know we'll just toss ideas around and sort of how do we want this music to sound if we have a song that sounds like it could get on the radio if it's the right type of song mm-hmm. then we'll pay attention to that and we'll try to make the record sound like something a radio station might want to play but but that's about as deep as i get into strategizing You know, it's hey, like hey. And, and after that it's you know it, It's up to the people who are more more attuned to the business side of things.
0: So, from what I gather, your process involves art, pure art, right? You don't really uh, pay attention to how it's going to perform in terms of commercial success or uh, how are people going to receive it. It's just uh, working on music with an idea and Processing it and putting it out and your yeah, management I mean, takes that forward. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I, I think of the audience when I'm writing the song right. because I want to make it, I want to make it something they can understand. And, and so I, I want it to be something that people will feel means something to them. Right. So I do pay attention to how it will be received in that sense, but not in commercial terms. I, I, it's. Yeah, it's not uh just not on my radar really. I, I I'm aware of all that and I pay attention to mm-hmm. the choices that, that that are being made and I, I you know, I have a, a say in it. I can say no, I don't want to do this, or yes, I I think this is a good idea. But but I'm not the one coming up with the commercial ideas. But but uh, but I think, I mean, the whole point of the song of a song is to share. Uh, experience in some way, right? So, the things that touch me in my life are very often going to be the things that touch other people in their lives too, because we all are pretty similar to each other. Uh, and so, you know, the, what I when I'm writing a song, I'm thinking of like how how can I make this meaningful to the person who's going to hear? But but that's as far as it goes
0: marvelous I, I i love the intent uh, it's, uh, it's it's pure pure music pure art and i really appreciate that thank you uh, could, uh, let's talk about your new release in particular uh, could you delve deeper into the symbolism and emotional resonance of the song colin went down the water so uh, i'm sure i'm sure it has a little bit of you know its exploration of loss and tra- tragedy so could mm-hmm. you throw some light on that
1: yes um two summers ago uh-huh. uh my family and i and a couple of friends rented a house for the most of the month of july in maui in hawaii okay And, wow. and okay. um it's a beautiful we've been there before we we love being there
0: uh-huh.
1: and uh it was a very quiet setting and a and a very um, comfortable group of people and as it, it, as usual, I was the first one awake every morning, and I would go out and sit on the sit on the front porch of the house and play my guitar. And for some reason, a whole bunch of songs came during that period of a few weeks. Uh, one of them was Colin Went Down to the Water, and that one came about, unfortunately, because uh, a friend of ours who was living in Maui at the time...
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Drowned in a scuba diving accident. Oh no! While we were there, and it just—it was quite shocking because I had—I had made a plan with him to get together in a few days and have a drink and you know say hi, but uh, uh, but then he drowned. So the song came out of that. But it—but the setting is this beautiful setting, tropical. I mean, speaking to somebody in India. You know, you're very familiar with tropical settings, but for me, it's an exotic situation to find myself in. And uh, uh, um, it's, I could sit on the front porch, and there's the the stand of bamboo swaying in the wind, and there's there's wild chickens roaming roaming around us as common chickens and goats roam all over the place in in Maui, Uh, and I can see the sea. Not too far away, and uh, and it's that same beautiful setting, and uh, that I wrote about in other songs, like Into the Now, for instance, on the same album. Uh, except that that C that I now includes my friend Colin, and uh, so not this is not Colin linden who produced the album, we've got to make chat that clear, two different people, okay, but okay. Uh, but. Yeah, Colin Pierce was the other gentleman's name. So, so it it, it was very uh, uh, very poignant and sad, and that and that produced the song.
0: Incredible! I, I just I just love your uh, the imagination in you. You know the the way you describe different elements and the setting. It's just uh, it's marvelous the way you can visualize these things. Yeah,
1: thanks. I I, I relate to things visually a lot okay, okay. Uh, and and a lot of what a lot of the word writing that I do right. is an attempt to 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 paint a visual picture that people can see. so i'm just, I'm glad you're I'm glad that works for you.
0: yeah, 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 because uh, I'm someone who really loves the sense of aesthetics that people have, especially musicians, right? So different musicians, I've been interacting with each of them, a very distinct with their distinctive voices and the way they visualize all of these things, it's truly, truly uh, marvelous to see that aspect. Great,
1: yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So, what what deeper ex- existential reflections does the song "When You Arrive" from your latest album evoke through its contemplation of aging, mortality, and the acceptance of one's own physical limitations?
1: I would say that's exactly what it is. It's uh, it, it's um, a product of my own age, and mm-hmm. uh, I suppose the having to deal with the with COVID too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But but uh, we we were all we all started thinking more about our mortality. Uh, right. I think right. what, what what our age is. But yeah. when you're what, my age, I mean, I'm seventy eight the horizon yeah. is closer than it was
0: Yeah.
1: At least in, in my consciousness. It's closer than it was when I was 50 right. or 30. Right. So, so it's, it's kind of more, it, not in a bad way either. I mean, it's, it's a threshold we have to cross. Everyone has to cross it. And, yeah. uh, that, you know, I, uh, I have some apprehension about it, but I also look, look forward to whatever the next thing is. So, um, this song is kind of a celebration of, of that, I think. And it's certainly recognizing mortality, but it, but, and, and in an Im- imminent way, but, um, but, uh, but it's not a sad song. I, I don't think it's, you know, I mean, it's also the, your bodies, bodies fail when they get, you know, over time, right? You, right. Some people are luckier than others. And, yeah, and I, in spite of the fact that i have some physical problems i i think i'm one of the lucky ones cuz i'm still able to function at this at the age i'm at and and that's not true for everybody but uh, but anyway so that 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 whole idea is a, a big part of everything on the album really i mean on a roll it's it's the same kind of thing and and um, uh, when the spirit walks in the room is maybe not so much like that but um just Trying to think about it, but there's, but uh, to me, there's there's a lot of death in the album, but it's not. I I don't think of it in a mournful way, except for "Calling Went Down to the Water," which is somebody else's death. Right,
0: but but I'm I'm really hoping that uh, you know uh, you do health wise, uh, you know, as as best as possible. And you. You, you put out many more musical masterpieces uh, for uh, the next uh, 50 years more. Or yeah, 70, 70 years more. <laughs> let's <do it>. yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. Yeah, uh, Let's take a step back now. Let's go back in time. Uh, we, we'll go through this whole uh, nostalgic uh, phase wherein uh, I'm going to ask you some questions about some of your older releases so in pacing the cage right mm-hmm. if you remember you you incorporate yeah. the drone based technique right so how did you draw inspiration from mississippi john hurt and blues music in general to develop techniques such as this and in your opinion how does the use of vivid imagery and intricate wordplay enhance the impact and longevity of a particular song such as
1: this Mm, that's a lot of, a lot of angles to that. Yeah. Um, but the, with respect to the guitar part, uh, <laughs> I became a fan of, of Mississippi John Hurt and, and certain other Matt Slipscomb, Brownie McGee and Sonny Terry. I heard them a lot when I was young. Yeah. And, um, I mean, from my late teens onward, and I was very much influenced as a guitar player by that music as a fingerstyle player, okay. Uh, I, had, I had already listened to a lot of jazz before I got introduced to that, and I was a fan of of jazz guitar players. But, right. um, but, but the music I felt most, uh, like I could actually do that uh-huh. or something like it, was the that country blues fingerstyle guitar, okay. So, that, um, I, I my my own style developed out of a mixture of kind of the jazz that I was learning and 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 what I've described elsewhere as a failed attempt to imitate Mississippi John Hurt and and uh, certain other players Bill Brunzi and certain other players. Okay. Um, I never could quite get the feel, but but in the process of trying, I came up with things that I could do that worked, and mm. and so really. If you if you were to watch me play, you'd see my left hand doing a lot of things that a jazz guitar player might do, mm-hmm. uh, and the and the right hand is doing what what the the folk blues guys did or right. something like. That. I mean, neither of those things is exactly true, but it's close. So um, so the pacing the cage is very much in the style of Mississippi John Hurt with an alternating bass that your thumb plays, and then uh, chords and or melody over the top of that with your played with your fingers, and um, it seemed to suit. When I when I come up with music for a song, it's determined by the feel of the lyrics. I, the lyrics are always the first thing that come, and then and then it's like, okay, well, what kind of music do these lyrics want? Do they want rock and roll? Do they want something quieter and more reflective? Do they, you know, do they want, what kind of landscape am I going to put these lyrics in? And Pace and Payson Cage wanted to you know, that, that kind of music. Um, it's become one of the more popular songs. And it actually is a song I have to, I'm going to have to relearn, not relearn, but rewrite the guitar part because my I have arthritic fingers, and there's certain things they won't do. Mm-hmm. I'm still able to play a lot. I I, I you know, play all the time, and and I, there's most of my songs I can play without problem. But there's certain ones, and "Pacing the Cage" is one of them that I I can't really play very well anymore. So I got to think of a new way to a new guitar part for it that that has the same feel, uh, which I haven't been able to do yet. But I, but that's a book in progress. Um, the lyrics came from one day I was driving uh, at the time. Uh, I wrote the song. I was living on a horse farm west of Toronto in Ontario, Canada. Okay. And uh, we were, my, my then girlfriend was a, was training show jumpers. So we, we had a small barn with a few horses and, and a, a, a ring. And, I, and behind the farm was a, Cliff. it's a, a, a geographical feature called the Niagara Escarpment that that uh, runs for you know a hundred or so miles through part of Ontario. And we could see this a, maybe a, a mile or whatever, let's say two, two kilometers behind us. Uh, and um, I was driving I'd been in Toronto for the afternoon and it was evening and I was driving back to the farm. I drove up the road and as I was approaching the entrance to our place uh, the the sun was setting behind the, the Niagara escarpment and and the cloud formations and the light created it just looked to me like an angel weeping with the, like but the kind of angel that we for, for people who've read the Bible the, the, there's certain angelic appearances in the Bible where they're armed and they're not they're not something to trifle with at all. They're like, they're not friendly always. Sometimes right. they're they're very harsh. So, and this one didn't look harsh, but it looked sad. And, but, it, but there was holding out the sword and this was, it just, the image just came to mind. And, and I started writing and the song unfolded from that. So, and it's, it's a song about, to me, about being confined, but confined by your own, uh, by your own choices. Sometimes you you know you choose things and, and you end up in a in a place that doesn't feel that good. Um, and it, and that's really what the song is about.
0: Uh, well, I I hope you're in a better place now. Uh...
1: <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I, I think I am. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> people like the song, though. I think, I mean, that kind of feeling is one that comes and goes from all of our lives at different times, I think. Right. It could be because you're bored with your job, or it could be because you're stuck in a marriage you don't like, or it could be, you know, just you're frustrated with your own limitations. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, that's, we all experience these things.
0: Let's delve into the depths of spiritual and existential themes within your music. So have you experienced a transformative impact on your own set of personal beliefs or the lens through which you perceive the world?
1: Uh, It's an ongoing journey for me. I became aware in my teens, late teens, um, that there was... there was more to life than just the physical. I, growing up, I'd been taught the the surface of Christianity, let's say, but it but but it, it was not presented to me as something that was something that I I needed to experience personally. Just it's just something people did, and and you know we were supposed to worship this or that. But but in, in my late teens, I became aware that there was. Uh, another side to reality than, than the physical. And I thought that was worth exploring and paying attention to. And I went through different phases. I, I, I would say I flirted with Buddhism, with the occult, with, uh, with various philosophies and eventually came back around to, to, by choice, and partly at least, and partly by what I feel was uh, being led to uh, approaching spirituality in Christian terms. But I, I've never felt like Christian terms were the only ones possible. I, I mm-hmm. think that uh, what what's important is is that we honor the hunger that we have for a relationship with the divine. Yeah. How how we manifest that is going to be determined by our culture by by our our personal experience and and our own inclinations and i think all of it is worthy well almost all of it i'm not a fan of the satanic stuff but but uh um but i think all of the all of the major religions have uh much to offer in that respect and and yeah. It's 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 really about the relationship, the personal relationship, than more than anything.
0: A very very beautifully articulated, uh, you know. Uh, of course, like everyone, everyone's got like faith in a specific religion, and I'm sure you know our ancestors have you know imbibed this entire tradition to us for a reason, right? So they saw something. Their forefathers uh, had you know probably told them or, you know, had given them as part of their entire, uh, you know, lineage. Right? They say,
1: yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, all human cultures are limited in, in their capacity to, to communicate this kind of stuff to us as individuals. Yeah. Uh, uh, Western culture has its limitations. Right. Asian cultures have their limitations, uh, uh, African and so on. But, uh, but but, all of us have something to offer each other, I think, in that regard, and uh, uh, that can help us transcend those limitations yeah so uh, I think it's unfortunate if 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 the if religion becomes uh, too closely identified with cultural norms and and it it gets confusing for people and it gets it it breeds uh bad things most of the time but but uh i i think we if if we're able to approach the whole thing with with the understanding that that none of us really knows it's it's we know what we learned from our parents or or as you said from our ancestors and yeah. and uh, and we know from you know just from observing other cultures too that there are things to be learned But, you know, I think too much, too often uh, people are motivated by fear to cling to the surface of of what they've been taught and not be open to other people's experiences and ideas. And, And I think we need to, I think that that kind of fear is one of the biggest obstacles that faces our species. Uh, not I mean, that that impacts not just spirituality, but the our understanding of the environment of of you know. I mean, it's fear of not having jobs as a as a part of that environmental picture. Fear of of thing having to learn something new that's different from the traditions we were taught. Uh, fear of change itself. You know, all these things that we need to we need to. Find a way to get past that fear. And for me, a lot of that, uh, to me, for me, what that means is is uh, understanding my own relationship with God more and deep in a deeper and deeper way. Uh, okay. The more of that, the stronger that relationship is, the lesser is the fear. So that's, that's my take on it, anyway.
0: Incredible. Uh let, let, I mean talking about your music, you've been putting out uh, incredible music for so many years now, right? So uh, do you believe that the music has this timeless quality, or do you feel that each each but each song that you put out through several eras is it is it time bound? Is your music time bound, or is it? You know, uh, I'm sure it's come through several phases. Right? So do you believe that there's this timeless quality
1: to survive? Well, I would certainly like to believe that. Um, I, I'm not sure it's true, but uh, the um, I think that if you look in the short term, fashion rules a lot, right? So yeah. in the 80s, I got played on the radio. In, in, in the 2000s, I don't get as much airplay because other stuff is more fashionable. But over time, over a long time, if I think about artists like um we could well, people who recorded like well, for instance, the old blues guys they they were never very popular outside their own community right. but uh but then you know and they're operating in the twenties, but then forty years later, a bunch of kids in the sixties discovered that music right. and and the music became very alive. Again, for those right. people, so I can hope for something like that with my own music. I, uh, but it's just a hope. I, I won't be around to, to check on it. But I always, of course, you. I think everybody who cr- creates anything likes to think that it will last a long time and still have meaning for people in future generations.
0: Right, uh, your music is is quite diverse, right? Uh, it, it's got so many. So many different layers, right? So uh, you write music with strong messages. So have you encountered any resistance or backlash for addressing sensitive topics in your music? And how, how did you go about navigating those challenges as an artist, if, if that happened?
1: Um, I've experienced that uh, to a limited degree. I, I, uh, I've never, I don't feel like it's ever been a very large problem. Um, but I mean, there are people who take exception to, uh, to anything political showing up in songs and they they don't want to hear it. Okay. That's fine. They don't have to listen.
0: But, but,
1: uh, um, I think the, the, for me, the whole, the whole job is to tell the truth as I understand it about the things that touch me emotionally. And, um, you know, so that's what I do. And, and some people like that and some people don't. Some people like aspects of it and not others. And it, so it goes. I mean, I, but but I don't think I've been the victim of any real serious backlash. I, I there, there are. I've, I've heard people say that I'm anti-American or something. I, I'm actually not anti-American at all. I live in the United States. I think it's a great place, but 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 uh, uh, but I'm anti-certain policies of both the Canadian government and the American government and and, and many other governments uh, that I have opinions about. So, you know, I, I think that's okay and fair. If they turn up in songs, if those opinions turn up in songs, then fine. And if you don't like it too bad. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, competition is something that's inevitable, right? Uh, you must have had of course you must have had a lot of competition in your area uh, which is music right and uh, in in your realm of music uh, did you have healthy competition with other fellow artists and, and if if yes could you name a few of them
1: um i i've never really thought in terms of competition i mean i know people do uh-huh. and certainly it's it's a it's a major part of the business uh, uh, you know I, how many plays did you get and how many hits and on this and that and the other thing. But I, I've always been hesitant to see any art in terms of competition. Competition comes in when you're trying to get an audience or in, in a a healthier way, when you're trying to be the best you can be. And somebody else, I mean, there's lots of guitar players in the world that are better than me. I listen to those guitar players and I go, yeah, I want to be able to do that too. It motivates me to 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 keep working on developing my own way of playing. But um and that's healthy, but the, but you know, to sort of feel like you have to uh kind of trample over other people or to feel like you know that you've been trampled on because somebody else is doing better. I, I I'm not in that game. Uh I, I think each of us has our own things to offer. I mean, do I get jealous sometimes? Yeah, sure. If I if I hear somebody who's doing something similar to what I do that's got a bigger audience, I think gee, it'd be nice if I had that bigger audience, but but n- not to the point of feeling like I have to fight for it. Yeah. Or or to disparage the other person because they have it. Yeah. So
0: bad enough. Your musical journey has taken you to various corners of the world where you might have witnessed the triumphs and struggles of humanity. Right? So, how has immersing yourself in different cultural setups and environments influenced your artistic perspective and in, in the ways you try to, you know, convey the universal human experience through your music?
1: It's a complicated question in a way, but, it, but but the simple simplest answer is it's just been a, an ongoing education yeah. uh, and, uh, and heart opening. I mean this is which I think is part of education too. I, 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 because you' if I hadn't done the traveling I've done, um, I probably wouldn't have the same ability to empathize with with, with all, all people that i feel okay. like i do have uh i mean people's stupid actions can make me angry or disappointed or upset frightened whatever just like everybody but but i think that uh in the travels that i've done i you, in seeing how other people live sometimes because they're forced to in in the case of places where people are very poor and and uh have limited options and uh you know i I feel uh, I've, I've learned a lot from from people in that kind of situation that, about what it is to be a person, and 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 what are the essentials. I mean, you, you, if you're in a society that has nothing, quote unquote, uh, by comparison to the one I grew up in, um, you see that people are still they still have a lot of the same impulses and and concerns including noble ones that that and and in some cases a better take on those things than than people who grow up in rich countries might have so it, it, there's just there's been a lot to learn all the way around and 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 learning that people even in the most horrible situations are capable of love and uh, and of honorable behavior and uh it's it's um it's not like the, the ideas were new when I discovered when I was introduced to them. There are things you think of, but but to see these things made, made manifest in, in in the flesh uh, is very encouraging and kind of reinforcing of of my own uh, hopes, I'd say.
0: Have you have you ever visited India during your travels?
1: Briefly, I, was, I
0: okay. I, okay,
1: I was tell me about it. The first time I went to Nepal, I've been to Nepal twice. The first time was okay. in eighty-seven, okay, nineteen eighty-seven, and, and uh, we went in. We flew from Toronto to London to Delhi, and oh, then wow. to and then to Kathmandu. So I had a, a two-day layover in Delhi in each direction. Okay. Uh, but that's all I've seen of India. I mean, Nepal has a lot in common with at least parts of India, but. Uh, but, um, you know, I can't say I know India at all. I have, met, I have friends who have done a lot of traveling in India that, that, that love it, that, that have had great experiences. My, and my brother traveled a lot in, in India back in the 70s and, and really had a good time, or at least a valuable time, a worthwhile time, um, you know, too. So, you know, maybe one day if I live long enough, I get to see get to, or
0: you should come to India. I'd be happy to host you in my country, and I'd be happy to show you around.
1: Yeah. Appreciate that. Thank you.
0: Yeah, you should. You should get your entire family, and uh, I'll take you on a nice expedition. If you like food, we can try different cuisines. We can try different musical styles in India. We can also explore a lot of uh, a lot of different cultures.
1: Right? Yeah. I. Yeah. I, I mean, I. I. I wouldn't say I'm knowledgeable about these things, but I've certainly eaten, eaten my share of Indian food in other parts of the world. And, and, okay. uh, listened, especially in the sixties, when I was kind of sixties and early seventies, when I was consciously exploring the music of other cultures, I listened to a fair amount of Indian music. Right. Um, most, well, well, I mean, Ravi Shankar came to North America and introduced Indian music to us all. Yeah. But, but, uh, there was um, a vena, a sarod player named Ali Akbar Khan who yeah. made made beautiful records back in the day, right. um, and those were quite influential on me actually. And in, in, in terms of um, in, in very technical terms, really, uh, the, the whole idea of uh, of music consisting of uh, if I can put it this way, short-term events that happen over top of a drone.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: This is, which is to me, a characteristic of Indian music. Uh, I mean, they can be longer-term events too, I guess. But some of the pieces are quite long, but, but, but uh, a lot of my stuff is built on that principle. Right. Uh, a lot of my approach to to the guitar is, is is based on that. So, whether it's it's an alternating bass or just a single note uh it's 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 something that the old those country blues players did as a principal also very different style different technique technique required but but um, so i i mean i, I have a, at least a sort of um, aesthetic connection with india in in thats to that extent but uh, uh, but i i just i see pictures and i think man it would be really great to to, to see that face to face you know Maybe I'll get to take you up on your invitation one Yeah, day.
0: Yeah, you should come. You should totally come. <laughs> uh, in a world filled with noise and distractions, your music has managed to captivate and connect with audiences in a very profound level. So how do you navigate the delicate balance between authenticity and accessibility in your songwriting, allowing listeners to form a very personal connection with your music while staying true to your own artistic vision? at the same time
1: um i don't think about it too much actually <laughs> i just do what i do and I, and um you know I, I i don't tend to measure myself against other people much i mean once in a while like i said i get jealous over something or whatever but but it's very transient and, and shallow. uh i i really feel like i'm on my own road and and i just need to pay attention to what the next step is supposed to be um and the, which I, I mean i have that attitude about my entire life and and the music is is an expression of of that so i don't you know i don't have to work at that really
0: right, right. uh i mean it leads to my follow up question your career would have faced moments of uh you know doubt and uncertainty right through different faces So, both creatively and in your advocacy efforts, right? So, how have these challenging types shaped your growth as an artist? And what are some of the insights or personal revelations that you have gained from overcoming all of those obstacles in your way?
1: Well, um, I don't know if my insight into that is very different from other people's. Each of us has physical obstacles. I mean, I I was born with uh a very I was very lucky, but born with a, a condition called spina bifida, which is uh, can be crippling and and most people who experience it uh, die young in a wheelchair I did mm-hmm. not because uh, because the the version of that condition that I have is very minor relatively speaking, but over time it's affected me but what it did do in the beginning is it gave me a bad one leg was shorter than the other and i was very self-conscious about that when i was a kid so you know what do you do about that well i didn't like to play sports because i felt like i wasn't good at sports because i didn't like to play sports i i i took up music i think i mean i didn't Mm -hmm. not consciously i didn't say oh i don't want to play football i'm gonna play the guitar but it but it just worked like that so uh for instance and and this is a way of Moving past a perceived limitation to uh to doing something that, that doesn't depend on the same things at all, so you know my hands were perfectly agile, I could do things with those and um, um, I think all of us experience these kinds of things in our lives where you know you you're not as beautiful as somebody else or you're uh you, you're a product of a situation where there are limitations around you in in terms of the work you can do or in terms of the education you can get and all that sort of stuff. And everybody has to get past those things. Some people do it by, you know, kind of taking a sledgehammer approach and with (laughs) motivated by extreme ambition or something, and they want to dominate and they want to get, you know, I, I never felt like I had to do that. Um, Partly because I grew up in a comfortable middle-class North American household, where I never really had to want for anything, so uh, we, we weren't we weren't spoiled, but but we had everything we needed. So I grew up thinking a lot that I would always have whatever I needed, and and so that's I I consider that a good thing, but but I, I'm very aware that not everybody. Gets to do that, like like a lot of people in the world, grow up in, with, with the feelings they, that they'll never get what they want or what they need, and they have to fight for it. So you know, I, this is these are the kinds of things that shape us. And uh, for me, I you know, once I discovered music, it it was a way out of any other limitations that I might feel socially or just or physically or whatever uh here was something that was just a relationship that i had with sound and the kinds of uh imaginary space that the sounds create in your mind and i love that and and still do and uh and then it then it went on to you know my understanding went on from that to Thinking that the, the divine is out there in, in that space, and you know, I don't, I wouldn't say music led me directly to that, but but uh, they're related in a certain way. So all of these things, you know, and, and kind of went to making me who I am, and and the rest of it has just been trying to be. Trying to honor that with with what I do in my life, and also to be helpful in some way, if I can.
0: <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. I mean, uh, apart from being such an incredible musician, you're also a wonderful human being. And 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 from what I gather, uh... <laughs>
1: you're at a distance, you're safe, <laughs> safe man. <laughs> Sorry, I mean, mean to interrupt you.
0: Right, right. So, uh, I mean. Uh... Yeah, it's it's incredible, you know the the way that you kind of try to balance out uh, time for a different set of things. Like you are also a philanthropist, and uh, yeah, you make great music, and of course you uh, are also a family man. You take care of uh, your family and your responsibilities, which is you know, which is truly truly something uh, to look forward to for any musician, right? To to pave their uh, Musical pursuit.
1: Well, I think you have to have a life. You can't. It, it can't. It can't only be music. Yeah. Then, then, you're not going to kind of. I guess. I mean, I say that for me. Other people might feel different. But, but for me, it's you know, the music is part of. It has to be part of a whole life.
0: Nice. I'd like to come to the last part of our agenda today, uh, which is a very interesting segment it's called the rapid fire segment and i'm going to be asking you some very simple questions and let's see how you do in the rapid fire segment right so first question for you bruce what is that one song that always makes you cry
1: rapid fire may not be my forte here um uh, actually there's a tom white song called gonna uh, i'm gonna take it with me when i go Mm-hmm. that pretty much always does that. All right.
0: On the contrary, what is your favorite guilty pleasure song?
1: Um, I think God Saved the Queen by the Sex Pistols.
0: <laughs> Great choice. If you had the chance to put together an all-star indie folk band, who would be in it? You can, you can pick an artist from any era.
1: Yeah, there'd be thousands of it. Would be a very large band, uh, <laughs> but uh, would, it, there'd be some Irish musicians, and there'd be some Indian musicians, and there'd be some some Turkish musicians, and there'd be some uh, some banjo players, and you know, and and accordion players, and uh, but it's hard to name names, you know. But and there'd be it. It would be at least fifty-fifty, male and female, right. Oh, yeah. uh, because i like the i i like the sensibility that women in general bring to things i i i find that uh, easy to work with um but uh yeah anyway i don't know i i don't have a very simple answer for that one okay okay what is your favorite cuisine uh, the stuff i make at home i mean basically what i grew up with which is standard Meat and potatoes kind of diet. Okay. Unfortunately, I, I I'm not allowed to eat potatoes anymore. So, <laughs> so I eat meat and rice. But but uh, but I'm I'm not a vegetarian. I, there's I like a lot of different kinds of food actually. But but I like I like what I cook myself best.
0: Okay. Okay. What are the top five uh, qualities or the must-haves for a singer-songwriter to get started with their musical? Pursuit.
1: well the general of things uh, you have to have an imagination mm-hmm. you have to have some um, musical ability mm-hmm. and you have to uh, well that's that's the the most basic starting point mm-hmm. but um the 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 other parts of that answer would change over time, I think, because, but I think that you need to have some integrity. And I think, I think you need to maintain some degree of control over what you do. It, um, sometimes artists think that the the, the, the business people know more than they do and that they should be guided by choices that really aren't about the art. And, and I, those things are useful in their way, but they have to be kept in their place. So you, you've got to keep a distance from that. Um, that yeah, I mean, commitment is another one. You know, so I think that's five. I don't know, was it? Maybe. <laughs> You're
0: doing pretty well. <laughs> uh, I have one last question for you, which no. is a custom in all of my interviews. And I ask all of my guests this very question. So here's a question, Bruce, down in the distant horizon, what would you like to be remembered as
1: uh, either as as absolutely nothing uh-huh. or uh or as um and probably this preferred one is uh <clears throat> as somebody who did their best. To, to, it with who did their best with respect to the art and and uh, who gave something to the world in some way. Um, I I I don't want to be more specific than that because I never I have no control over that. I don't know what will what people will take out of what I've done, but I hope it will be a good thing.
0: Great answer for a closure. Uh, this interview will be additionally aired on Indian radio on Big FM Shillong and Azal, which are in the northeastern parts of India on the Sunday primetime show, between 5 to 6 p.m. And I'll be happy to share the posters once it is going to be aired. And not just that, this interview is going to be on my YouTube channel, Aditya Veera, very soon. And it'll be streaming on all major audio streaming platforms that include Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, name it so i'll be sure to share the link once this interview is out thank you so much for tuning in it's been an incredible blessing honor and a privilege sir
1: i thank you in return and and uh, you've been asking really good questions and and uh it's been very enjoyable talking with you so thank you
0: i'm i'm glad i'm glad it was worth waking up at, at this early hour and uh doing this and uh yeah, uh, of course. Like I uh, also had to sort of uh, trouble you with uh, figuring out the Zoom session and everything. But I, but I'm glad. I'm so glad it worked well at the end of the day.
1: Yes, me too.
0: I hope to stay in touch with you. Please do stay in touch, and uh, I'd be happy to share some Indian music with you as well.
1: Uh, that'd be great. All right,
0: thanks. Yeah. Take care. Take care. Have a great Sunday. Thank you. Thank oh, you once thank again.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Right. Bye-bye. Bye bye.